Interlude The Tale of the Old Handball Players Handball is a therin pastime, as cherished by the people of the southern city-states as it is scorned by the Vadrans in their kingdom to the north, although Vadrans in the south seem to love it well enough. Scholars belittle the idea that the game had its origin in the era of the Therin throne, when the mad emperor Satirana would amuse himself by bowling with the severed heads of executed prisoners. They do not, however, deny it out of hand, for it is rarely wise to underestimate the Therin throne's excesses without the very firmest sort of proof. Handball is a rough sport for the rough classes, played between two teams on any reasonably flat surface that can be found. The ball itself is a rubbery mass of tree latex and leather, about six inches wide. The field is somewhere between twenty and thirty yards long, with straight lines marked, usually with chalk, at either end. Each team tries to move the ball across the other side's goal line. The ball must be held in both hands of a player as he runs, steps, or dives across the end of the field. The ball may be passed freely from player to player, but it must not be touched with any part of the body below the waist, and it must not be allowed to touch the ground, or possession will revert to the other team. A neutral adjudicator, referred to as the justice, attempts to enforce the rules at any given match, with varying degrees of success. Matches are sometimes played between teams representing entire neighborhoods or islands in Camor, and the drinking, wagering, and brawling surrounding these affairs always starts several days beforehand and ends when the match is but a memory. Indeed, the match is frequently an island of relative calm and goodwill in a sea of chaos. It is said that once, in the reign of the first Duke Andracana, a match was arranged between the cauldron and catchfire. One young fisherman, Marcos, was reckoned the finest handballer in the cauldron, while his closest friend, Gervain, was thought of as the best and fairest handball justice in the entire city. Naturally, the adjudication of the match was given over to Gervain. The match was held in one of the dusty, abandoned public squares of the Ashfall district, with a thousand screaming, barely sober spectators from each side crowding the wrecked houses and alleys that surrounded the square. It was a bitter contest, close fought all the way. At the very end, the cauldron was behind by one point, with the final sands trickling out of the hourglass that kept the game's time. Marcos, bellowing madly, took the ball in his hands and bashed his way through an entire line of catchfire defenders. With one eye blackened, his hands bruised purple, blood streaming on his elbows and knees, he flung himself desperately for the goal line as the very last second of the game fell away. Marcos lay upon the stones, his arms at full extension, with the ball touching but not quite crossing the chalked line. Gervain pushed aside the crowding players, stared down at Marcos for a few seconds, and then said, Not across the line. No point. The riot and the celebration that broke out afterward were indistinguishable from one another. Some say the Yellow Jackets killed a dozen men while battling it back. Others say it was closer to a hundred. At least three of the city's coppers died in a little war that broke out over reneged bets, and Marcos vowed never to speak to Gervain again. The two had fished together on the same boat since boyhood. Now the cauldron as a whole warned Gervain's entire family that their lives wouldn't be worth sausage casings if any one of them set foot in that district ever again.
Twenty years passed. Thirty. Thirty-five. The first Duke Nicovante rose to eminence in the city. Marcos and Gervain saw nothing of one another during this time. Gervain travelled to Jeresh for many years, where he rowed galleys and hunted devilfish for pay. Eventually, homesick, he took passage for Comor. At the dockside he was astounded to see a man stepping off a little fishing boat, a man weathered and grey and bearded just like himself, but certainly none other than his old friend Marcos. Marcos! he cried. Marcos from the cauldron! Marcos! The gods are kind! Surely you remember me? Marcos turned to regard the traveller who stood before him. He stared for a few seconds. Then, without warning, he drew a long-bladed fisherman's knife from his belt and buried it up to the hilt in Gervain's stomach. As Gervain stared downward in shock, Marcos gave him a shove sideways, and the former handball justice fell into the water of Comor Bay, never to surface again. Not across the line, my ass! Marcos spat. Verari, Carthani, and Lashani nod knowingly when they hear this story. They assume it to be apocryphal, but it confirms something they claim to know in their hearts, that Camori are all God's damned crazy. Camori, on the other hand, regard it as a valuable reminder against procrastinating in matters of revenge, or, if one cannot take satisfaction immediately, on the virtue of having a long memory. <laughs>